rejection is a tool of wisdom. It is something that you can absolutely use to grow. It is something that you can look at all of the times that it has happened and you can say, okay, don't do this. Maybe you could do that. Don't do this. Maybe you could do that. And it's also a tool for patience. Um, I used to always say I would, I would never uh, pray for patience because I pray for wisdom. And, but it didn't work because rejection taught me both patience and wisdom as far as really being able to understand that if you get a whole bunch of no's, well, guess what? That's adding time. Like you, now you have to wait even longer to get a yes. But what else are you going to do if you're going to keep putting yourself out there? Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast brought to you by Cardavera the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. We're also excited to now be a part of the ever-expanding Evergreen Podcast Network. Today, we have Lapora Lindsay with us. The title is Growing Your Emotional Intelligence, Confidence, and Leadership. Lapora is a career coach. She is a personal development coach, and she helps people grow their leadership and grow their careers. She's also, by the way, a military spouse of many years and does a lot of work in supporting those who are navigating that unique life experience and challenging job experience of being a military partner. But today we're going to talk about confidence. We're also going to talk a lot about emotional intelligence, probably one of the best definitions and descriptions of emotional intelligence I've ever heard about self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management. And Lepore is going to talk about how these all come together to either enhance and grow our confidence and thus our career or hold us back, not only in our careers, but in our leadership. It is going to be an enlightening conversation, and I'll give you a little teaser here, including a conversation about rejection and the ways that it can teach us both wisdom and patience. Welcome to the Leadership Junkies podcast, where we explore leadership, business, and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life. We're your hosts, Jeff Dishwitz and Craig Matthews. We believe that leaders have to put their people first. And if you don't have time to grow your people, then you're not leading. Get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business. Welcome to your bigger business and bigger life. We are excited to be back here today with what I know is going to be a fascinating conversation because at its core, we're going to deal with the concept and notice I call it a concept of confidence. Hmm. So many people talk about wanting to be confident, but I think we've got a lot of mixed mixed and misguided messages on it. And today we have Lapora Lindsay with us. She's a motivational speaker, life coach, career coach, author. She's certified in emotional intelligence, life skills coaching, professional resume write, writing. She is a certified ICF, which is International Coach Federation, life skills coach, uh, she's been doing this work for about 14 years now, uh, helping people not only develop their careers, but develop themselves. Uh, I, I love that she shared this with us. She spends a lot of her time uh, as a volunteer. She's a, a committee mentor for an organization called I Can Help. She's been a military spouse for 13 years. Uh, they've been moving around extensively. Lapora writes a lot of articles uh, for military spouses. Uh, particularly in a magazine called Military Spouse Magazine, as well as others. And basically, she just helps people work with uh, their mindset and helps them not only find that most fulfilling career path, but helps them find the most of themselves, which allows them to have that path they really want and to show up the way they want to in their career and their leadership, pretty much in everything. So welcome, Lapora. Yeah. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, Lapora, give everybody a little bit of the background story. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I'm, a, I'm a military spouse and part of, I guess, I don't know how to say it. I guess part of the, the pleasures of being a military spouse comes with a lot of moves, yeah. uh, particularly for me. Um, for there was a 12 year period. I've been married 13 years, but there was a 12 year period where we were moving and I had to we ended up moving six times within that 12 year period. And a lot of it required a lot of 
rebranding myself. I don't consider myself a personal brand strategist, but just really rebranding myself and reworking a lot of things to figure out how can I maintain meaningful employment? And so even though there's a lot of different things throughout my life that has brought me to the point that I am at now, I would say that that was probably one of the more impactful moments that really got me on the road of wanting to help people in their careers and really wanting to help change their minds and get their self in a positive mindset, regardless of, of where they are in their careers. So it sounds interesting. Every every once in a while you're moving and you get to recreate yourself at each time. Did you did you choose to do that? Or were there points <laughs> where you're like, hey, I, I like who I am right now. You know, I'm going to stay with that version of Lapora. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, excuse me, <clears throat> frog in my throat. Uh, so, Craig, with that, I, I think it was a little bit of both. It was uh, sometimes where I was extremely excited to be the new Lapora that I created. I was like, I like this me, like this is working. <laughs> People like this me, like let's keep it this way. But there's also that other part where I did not have control over that, mm. where when my husband got his orders and it was time to go, guess what? It's time to go. There are military spouses right. who decide to, uh, to stay back. But for me, I decided that it would be best to just sure. go wherever he went. And so it was really just about what is going to work best for the direction that we're going in instead of what worked best, you know, now or even in the past. Lapora, one of the things I talked about in the introduction is such a common conversation. It's about confidence. And we actually, Craig and I did a survey right before we launched this podcast and asked people, what did they want more of in their leadership (laughs) and sort of, sort of skill development or mindset development and the, the biggest answer was feeling more confident. Yeah. So I'm guessing you hear that a lot. Let's just start with talk about your perspective on what is self-confidence. Sure, Jeff. So self-confidence is really just about having confidence in your skills, your abilities, what you are able to offer. Um, it is something that as much as we like to try to pin it on other people, as far as, okay, so Craig believes that I can do this, or Jeff believes that I can do this. This is about what Lapora believes Lapora can do. Uh, And, (laughs) and it's so very important to be able to have that, that mindset that honestly, regardless of what anybody else is thinking, I know that I am capable of this, Hmm. regardless of me applying to 10, 15 jobs and getting those rejections. I know that I'm capable of this and just really being able to hone in on that and sticking with that regardless of it. And also with that, being confident enough to know that if you are, perhaps you have areas where they may not be your strengths points, taking the time to educate yourself on those areas, to learn, to grow those skills. So that way you can then work your way up in that particular area. Like it, it doesn't mean that you don't have weaknesses, but it's confident enough to know that even the weaknesses that you do have, you still have uh, an opportunity to grow and to learn because I'm all about continuously learning. Based upon our collective experiences, as well as probably all of our guests, it seems like the vast majority of people, their self-confidence level rarely is equal to the level of confidence others have in them. <laughs> right. Yes. So talk a little bit about that disconnect, the reality of that disconnect. Let's just start there because there's there's a lot, there's some other follow-up questions. Talk about sure. that gap. Sure. So I think a lot of it, it boils down to uh, self-awareness. So we're talking a little bit about um, emotional intelligence and there's, depending on whose research you're looking at, I'm I'm just going to go with this particular one. There's the four primary core areas, right? So you have that self-awareness, you have that self-management, you have the social, and then on the social competence side, you have the the social awareness and then the relationship management. Hmm. But that self-awareness is that foundational skill. And that is essentially understanding yourself um, being able to, to have a gauge of how you're coming across, right. Being able to understand that. And a lot of that comes with doing a little bit of self-exploration. So taking the time to figure out what, what gets you going, what gets you motivated, what keeps you motivated, what inspires you also looking at the other side and figuring out perhaps what things frustrate you, what things make you nervous. Why are you afraid to try? Like, that's a lot of work. 
And with emotional <laughs> intelligence, it's not going to just stop at any given time. Like it's not just, oh, I figured it out. I'm good to go. But it really is like this constant evolving or revolving door of, OK, I got this, take this out, got this, take this out in order to grow. And so when it comes to you know self-confidence and our perspective and what other people are seeing, what other people are saying, one of the ways to improve that through self-awareness is to some, is just ask for feedback. To ask people like, what are they seeing? What strengths do they see in you? What weaknesses do they see in you? That's a vulnerability moment because you may not like necessarily what you're going to hear, but there is no possible way for you to properly gauge what you do um, and how you're coming across and be able to to make sure that your self-confidence is lined up with with what other people are seeing if yours is higher or lower, honestly. So when you look at confidence, I think one of the things that seems to get in the way is the imposter syndrome. Can oh, you yeah. talk to you know, where that comes from and how, how maybe we can get over that? <laughs> you know, I don't know if we can. Uh, I think that it's always going to be around because as long as social media is around, we always have the opportunity to look at what other people are doing Mm -hmm. more so than we ever have in the past, where in the past, um, unless someone was always on TV or always in news articles, we didn't really have, we didn't, we didn't really have the opportunity. I I guess I could say to fall into that comparison trap, but now I really do feel that it's because we're constantly seeing uh, what other people are doing. And then we're comparing that to ourselves. And when we try to do something similar uh, or we're or we're walking down a similar uh, road or or journey, career journey, we say, well, oh, well, I'm not doing it necessarily this way, or oh, I didn't necessarily have that win, so maybe I shouldn't be doing this. But one thing I, I try to remind people of is that when you see somebody else succeed, that is not indicative that you are a failure. It has n- absolutely Great nothing point. whatsoever to do with. We are two completely different people, and in order for you both to succeed, you both have to take your own journey to success. You can't say, oh yeah, they did it this way. I I have to do it this way. or I have to say it this way in order to, to be successful in my my career, because you're not, I'm going to say you're not related, but it's not related. (laughs) It's not, it's, it's different. Well, it seems like when you, when you get to know something and become a, you know, at least a map, maybe not a master, but very good at what you do, you realize the more, you know, the more, you know, that you don't know. And maybe that's where some of that comes from too. Because then you're comparing yourself to what you know you could be doing versus what you are doing. Yeah, absolutely. Great point. I, I completely agree with that, Craig. It's there is a lot of I almost feel like the more you know knowledgeable we become, it's the, the more insecurities you could potentially have because you know what you could be doing. And so I think, you know, I think a part of that, you know, going back to that self-confidence is just knowing that you are what you are capable of doing. And working on that, working on your strengths, but also taking the time to identify those weaknesses and work on and work on those areas as well. Lepora, I want to go back and unpack something you said. You talked about these four points and my math might be off, but I just want to make sure what the points are. So I think you put the four points under the umbrella of emotional intelligence. Yes. Okay. so you have (laughs) emotional intelligence is this umbrella. And the four I heard were self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. So let's look at each one of those. I think it's important because I think too often people are mixing those up or not looking at all of them. They see emotional intelligence as just self-awareness. Oh, yeah. Let's let's walk through each one. Just start with self-awareness. Give us your definition of that, and then we'll move through the rest of that. Sure. So... For self-awareness, it, it falls under a, and hopefully I don't, if, let me know if I'm being too confusing right here. <laughs> I'm going to try not to be. So you have personal competence, right? And under personal competence, which falls under emotional intelligence, self-awareness is that first half. And think of self-awareness as what I, what I know. So this is what I know to be true about myself. Uh, those triggers, those, those things, my emotions, my feelings, perhaps even where they're rooted from. I'm not taking any action on it, but I'm simply taking the time to get to know myself for who I am. And that is, that is self-awareness. Now with that, how much of that would you say when you're talking to somebody, 
how much do you think that that's actually real? And how much do you think that that is really tainted by past experiences and so forth? Because I think a lot of people don't see themselves in the in as good a light, like Jeff was saying, as maybe others do. Oh, that's hard to say. I, 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 every person is going to be different as far as um, how much is, is, is tainted based off of those past experiences, mm -hmm. but it, it definitely is something that comes into play, a, a large percentage of that. But as far as how it actually affects how people act, I don't know. Um, and the reason why is because there, there are other things that come into play as well. There's personality that comes into play. There's IQ yeah. that comes into play. And so you have, you know, these three overlapping circles that make you who you are. Mm -hmm. And while emotional intelligence can increasingly grow, like it never stops growing. Hopefully there is, yeah, <laughs> there's going to be a, there's going to be some effect there. Um, but it, it, but I would say that that's, that's part of that self-awareness uh, moment where, even though I, I, I don't know like the exact percentage, there is going to be some things that come into effect there. You can look at a very common emotion like anger, right? A lot of times people think of anger as being a, a negative emotion. In reality, it's just an emotion, just like happiness or sadness. It's, it's just an emotion. Yeah. And it is how we act on that emotion that can make it a, a, a negative or a positive emotion. But anger is secondary. So what does that mean? Basically, it means that there are other emotions. There is perhaps we get angry when we get embarrassed. We get angry when we get frustrated. We mm -hmm. get angry when we feel lonely. So there are all of those things that come into play. And those past experiences that you mentioned, Craig, that is where it comes into play with us when we're doing that self-awareness for us to figure out. So where is this anger coming from? Mm -hmm. Because we're not going to all get angry about the same thing. And that's how that those past experiences do drip in. Well, Lepora, let's talk about that a little more. You said something interesting. You said self-awareness is what I know about myself. And I think one of the challenges mm -hmm. in that is I'm always going to have things I don't know about myself. And if I start to believe that I think I know about myself, I'm actually less of self-aware. So there's like, you got to be, I think you have to be willing in self-awareness to hold the space. If this is what I know about myself, I want to know more about myself. And there's always going to be things I don't fully know about myself. Is, is that been your experience? Absolutely. You summed it up lovely, Jeff. You summed it up. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So let's, let's move past self-awareness. And I think it's great because that's where I think a lot of people stop. And um, let's talk about self-management. So what is self-management as one of these four let's call them pillars of emotional intelligence. Sure. So I, you, you've, you've somewhat led into that a little bit. So self-management is the actions that we take. So self-awareness is, this is what I know to be true, <clears throat> excuse me, about myself. And then self-management is, these are the actions that I'm now taking. So let's stick with, let's stick with anger since I've already started with it. So if you have anger, once again, I said, it's just a normal emotion. But let's say you are, uh, you know, being aggressive with that anger, which is a negative action to take. So now that's where that management comes in is you hear about, you know, like anger management courses or let's say you're, you're getting stressed out all the time. You're aware of that. That self-management comes with oh, that self-management comes with the stress management. Let's say that you are aware that you are not communicating effectively. Well, taking a class on effective communication is something that can help uh, with improving that. So self-management really is taking the action. So based off of your awareness, now I'm going to figure out how can I either maintain the positive actions that I have or how can I improve the other actions that I have, the, the potential negative actions that I need to perhaps make more positive or, or neutral. I, I love that. And I love that that's in there because I, I think, I, I guess I'm curious about this, Lapora. I often hear people say, and their teammates will actually say, uh, you know, well, I'm aware that uh, this is one of my emotional gaps. When I get frustrated, I get angry, I get short and I get, I cut people off. And they'll say, I'm really aware of that, but they do it all the time. <laughs> and they don't see improvement, but they'll say, I have really high emotional intelligence. 
because of the awareness. <laughs> but I think it's so critical that you're adding this. It's, your awareness is pretty meaningless if there's no action. It doesn't mean you'll be perfect, but that's what you're working on is changing the behavior, not just being aware of the behavior. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Would that be called emotional responsiveness? So it, it could be. So self-management is also called uh, self-regulation. Okay. Um, so yeah, there's, there's multiple terms, uh, to it, but essentially as, as long as you are, as you said, you know, t- taking that, what you are aware of and yes, responding to it or regulating it or managing it yeah. to where it is no longer, um, negative, then, then you are doing what is required in order to increase the overall emotional intelligence. And some people do have, you know, a high uh, self-awareness, but self-manage, uh, self-management may be relatively low, but that could also be something similar to, I know I get stressed out a lot, yet I refuse to do self-care. <laughs> so there's that also another spin on that self-management take. I guess as we're going through and, you know, as we become more aware of our own emotions, we're also looking at the effects that we have on other people. You know, we see it in their face or their body countenance, whatever that is. But at some point we need to check in with them. Do you have a good way of, of that check-in where we can say, you know what, I, I want to know how I'm impacting you. Yes, absolutely. You could ask it just like that. Honestly, Craig, I mean, like there's no, there is no uh, particular um, method that works one way better or the other because everyone is different, but being open to that, I think is, is the key. That's the primary key. Um, And asking people that you've known for a long time, you could ask people that you've recently met uh, because that could be different as well. People that you work yeah. with versus people that you know on a more personal basis, because what you're getting uh, as a common denominator could give you a lot of insight um, into how people view you. Yeah. And probably your superpower too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yay for superpowers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, so Lepore, we've talked about self-awareness, self-management or self-regulation. The next one you list was social awareness. So, mm. You know, tell us about what that is within this umbrella of emotional intelligence. Sure. So for the self-awareness and the self-management really quick, both of those are the personal competence side. And so now with the social competence side, we start off with the social awareness and similar to self-awareness, social social awareness is what you see. So we're not taking any action, but we are taking the time to examine the situations, observations to see what we are gaining from those particular um, things that are going on, Uh, taking note of the environment that we're in, whether it is a work environment, personal environment, at a restaurant, whatever the case may be, really being able to take in all of the cues, uh, take in interactions. So now we're combining how we interact, how we are interacting with other people uh, taking a look at body language and all of those things. We are taking in all of the senses um, to be able to be aware, show that empathy uh, when needed uh, in order to eventually move on to establishing those effective relationships. So, so let, me, let me ask you a clarifying question there. I often will see situations, let, let's say I'm watching a movie or something or a show. Because that's where I'll, I'll see a lot. And then I take it into the world, but I'll see someone say something seemingly oblivious to the impact it had. So is that what you would call that social awareness? They're, they're doing or saying something, but they're not somehow not able to see the impact of it. Yes, we were talking about in regards to someone else saying something and they're not being able to see that impact. Is that what you're referring to? I just want to. Well, if let's say let's make it about me. Okay. I'm in an interaction with you, but someone's observing it. Craig's observing it. Maybe it could happen today. I'm interacting with you and I ask you a question or say something a certain way that I guess there's two parts. There's a part that says I could know through self-awareness and self-management that I might have the impact. I could know that, but then the social awareness is I observe your reaction Mm -hmm. and see that it had an impact. So that would be this. I could have both. I could know that do that. When I say this to you, it might have this impact. And I know I sometimes do this So I could know that I often have that impact, but then I could also witness something, how you respond to say, Oh, I just had an impact. 
Yes. That would be under the social awareness. Yes, absolutely, Jeff. Absolutely. Okay. So that's a good separation. Um, and I think that's a great one for people to think about, especially leaders, because I, I think there's so many cues. And I think sometimes it's a matter of we're going so fast, we're not slowing down enough to see them. And sometimes we're not open to seeing them. And I think there's a, an element of openness to say, I care enough mm. to observe. Absolutely. So I can grow. Absolutely. You know, you bring up a really good point. Um, I don't know if uh, Brene Brown has a really good video on, on YouTube about empathy. And it's basically, you know, the, the things that you're sharing here, Jeff, as far as with, you know, I guess the phrase that she uses is at least, you know, if we're having difficult times in our marriage and then someone responds, well, you know, at least, you know, it's, you still have money, you know, and oh my gosh, my kid is, is failing in school. Well, at least they're good at music. So we're not taking the time to fully meet that person where they are. Um, and, and in social awareness, you, you need to have that empathy. You need to be able to even if you don't understand why someone is sad that that they lost a job, you can understand sadness because everyone has experienced it in one form or fashion. And that's where that empathy comes in is you don't have to experience the exact same thing to know the feeling. And if people can tap into that, then being socially aware of what that emotion does, how that emotion affects people, that is really going to help increase that particular uh, component of emotional intelligence because you are aware you know those feelings are you you categorize them however you want to but really just being able to notice that in others and how it could potentially affect them is so very important to eventually establishing a effective relationship so it's interesting laporo that's the first time you've brought up empathy and you brought it up in the context of social awareness would you say empathy is more critical in the social awareness or that just it's in all the areas and that just sort of happened to be where it came up today. I think that's just where it came up um, naturally. Um, but it, it's definitely something empathy and motivation, honestly, are ones that could be across the board. Um, and I don't want to track back to, uh, to self-awareness and confuse uh, or, or to, uh, to mess things up a little bit, but, but yeah, absolutely. Empathy for sure is a, I would say an underlying factor of all of the the pillars. Well, I, I think you touched on something there. You know, we oftentimes don't have empathy with our own emotions and, and thoughts. You know, we we don't we don't have we don't give ourselves grace. And I think that's so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I hear that all the time. And it's so very important that we have to to give ourselves grace. We're so critical. Or maybe that's just me. I don't know. But like oh myself, it's just kind of like, golly, if this was somebody else, I'm pretty sure I'd be a lot nicer. <laughs> So really just being kind to ourselves and having that grace, as you say, Craig, absolutely. Well, it's interesting because it's one of the things I'll ask coaching clients a lot, and I've started to more intentionally use the word grace. I think it's a great word, grace for myself and grace for others. A lot of people don't feel it fits in business, but I think it's so essential. And what I'll tell them and I'll say, well, if someone on your team made some mistakes, how long would you remind them of it? And they'll say, well, you know, sometimes I do too much, but generally it's going to be once and I, we hopefully grow. I don't keep bugging them about it. And I said, so why do you do that to yourself? <laughs> and they'll laugh and say, well, yeah, that's a really good question because I do that all the time. Yeah. And um, I guess let's ask a question about that. Have you found some underlying factors that cause people, I guess, to be harder on themselves than they would on anybody else? A question we've been asking for decades. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, it has to do with past experiences and the way we view failures, the way we view rejections, um, accomplishing things, success. And, and so when we don't achieve that, when we don't win, um, then a lot of times we can really just be hard on ourselves for not doing that. So I, I think it's, it's a, it's a, a conglomerate of different, different things, different experiences, different, perhaps even just different words, different phrases that we consistently hear 
And it's just a point where we're just like, I know I could have done better. And then also that part of knowing we know ourselves and we know what we're capable of. And so when we don't do something that we know we could have done or we do something that we know we should not have done, then it's just I think it's just a buildup of of those different things mashed together. And we just we just feel like it's okay to continuously beat ourselves down, even though I know it even I say for me, because I'm, I'm even guilty of this. We know that we shouldn't do it, but we still do. And I just human nature based off those experiences. Sounds like we have more judgment for ourselves sometimes because we know what we're capable of. And when we mess up, it seems that much bigger. Absolutely. And maybe because we're so close to it, you know. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. If you enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com slash confident to find out more. See you on the inside. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back. So I, you've mentioned rejection a couple times. I want to move there, but I, I don't want to leave our pillars yet because we've got one more. Right. I'm, I'm holding on here. <laughs> Let's talk about relationship management. What is that and how is that different than the self-awareness, self-management and social awareness? So relationship management, consider this to be the more advanced skill. You can't have um, a great relationship management without self-awareness self-management and social awareness it, because it requires all three. It requires the self-awareness, self-management and social awareness in order to have uh, effective relationship management. Cause you can manage a relationship. I mean, it may be a crappy relationship, but you can manage it. Right. But if you want it to be an effective, a, a great one, like a positive one, then you're going to need the prior three. That's a and great so it, point. I don't think I've seen it yeah. that way before. That's really good. <laughs> yeah. So just being able to take those skills, you know yourself. So you know how you are, are talking, you know uh, your actions, being able to manage that. So if there is conflict, which we know conflict is going to happen. Right. So being able to take that conflict of a situation, manage ourselves. We know we know what our triggers already are, but manage it taking into account how the other person is, is, is approaching the situation. And then with all of this information that we're processing, we are able to effectively manage uh, that, that particular situation. And then moving forward, um, you know, continuously to be able to be positive and increasing our emotional intelligence. Now with that, I will say that a lot of times people look at emotional intelligence as if everybody's going to like you and you're doing everything right. And that's not how it goes. <laughs> it doesn't go like that. Uh, it, you can't, it's not a magical wand for everyone to like you. It is not a magical wand for uh, when there's conflict. Everyone's like, oh yeah, Lapora, you're right. I can't believe how amazing you are. <laughs> as wonderful as so, that would no. be. <laughs> it's not so. As amazing as that would be, um, that's just not how it works. Um, people, we, you will still make a decision it helps with decision-making skills, but you will still make a decision that everyone will not agree with. Mm. And that's just, that's just part of the game. However, it is something in which you are taking into account 
other people's emotions, other people's feelings. You're taking into account yours as well. And the overall scope is about effectively being able to manage those relationships. So even if they don't agree with it and they don't like it, the it is for the better for for everyone. If you are taking into account those three prior pillars in order to uh, have that uh, relationship management. Oh, I love that. Um, you, you used a word there you've used a few times and I want to say more because I think it seems obvious, but it's not. And that is the idea of triggers. Uh, a lot of people throw them around and sometimes I don't think they, in my opinion, use them even correctly. Because for me, a, a trigger is where I got triggered by something externally, but it's my trigger. Right. And, and I t- a lot of people tend to focus on the, the event or the, what externally happened and say, that's the trigger. Well, it was, but I got triggered. So this is something about me. Right. So you can talk a little bit more about how important it is to understand our triggers and that they are about us, yes. not about the event that caused the trigger. Yes, because absolutely. Because different people respond differently to the same event. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and here's the thing. So with those triggers, it's important to, to understand, you know, talked a little bit about that self-awareness, understanding you, uh, understanding that iceberg. Uh, and with the iceberg, you know, there is that, you know, emotion at the top, but then under the water, there are all of these different things that are going on. Some of those things could be uh, potential trauma. It could be potential uh, life experiences. It could even be something like expectations, right? Um, it could be um, prior words or, or catchphrases. And so for me, I have a, I, I guess I have a trigger, which is more of a, it's a polite trigger, I guess. I don't know. But for me, it's, it's when people put jam or jelly in the refrigerator, like they don't put it in the door or, or in a side drawer. They put it like right there. And it's a trigger for me because I get really upset and I'm just like, why would they do this? It doesn't make sense. And of course, I'm not this polite in my head. It just, it's just it doesn't make sense. But the trigger comes because when I was younger, like my dad would always get upset about the jar of jelly being in the refrigerator instead of in the door. And it's not even about that jelly. It's about that no one's listening. <laughs> right. It's about that no one decided that what I had to say was enough to be heard. Mm. And that's where that trigger for me. So yeah, it's a jar of jelly, but it's really not the jar of jelly or the jar of jam. It's the fact that I told people not to put it there and they put it there anyways. And so that's a lot of time when it comes to when looking at these triggers, we have to say, so I'm upset about this, or I'm angry about this, or I'm frustrated about this, or I'm sad, or I'm lonely, whatever the emotion, but why? Why am I upset about this? Why is this bothering me so bad? And then really being able to figure out, and I mean, it may not be like years ago, like it was for me and the, the jelly and the jam, but there is something there that is, that explains why the emotion is there because my husband doesn't care about the jam or the jelly, wherever it is in the refrigerator. So that's just a little example there. I think that's a great example and a great explanation of a potentially complex subject. Mm. And I agree with you. I think it is vital to understand. Like I know, I'm, I am aware that one of my foundational trigger topics is trust. And I know where that comes from. There was a time in my life that I was not trustworthy. And very legitimately not so. And I re, I'm committed to being that trustworthy person. So when I have experiences that feel like people don't trust me, mm. that I get triggered and usually with some anger. Like, why don't you trust me? I can't believe you don't trust me. And I'll either go into proof mode or anger will come out. And I I thought it was about relational trust. But recently with my girlfriend, it was something simple. She had asked me a question over two days, maybe two or three times. Is anything on your mind? And I and and I don't know. Someone recently said, wasn't it, Craig? Someone in one of our guests said that men more often actually are thinking about nothing. <laughs> they actually are thinking nothing than women. Yeah. And I remember going in both cases. Yeah, nothing. I'm not thinking about anything. <laughs> but I think it was the third time I got asked the question. I got triggered. Mm. And I'm not sure why, but I definitely got triggered. It led to an argument. But I, we had a conversation and we talked through it and I realized it was still a trust issue. Mm. I was experiencing that as, you don't trust my answer. 
you think I'm not, you think I'm keeping something from you. And now, so I'm hearing, I don't trust you. And I'm reacting to, I don't trust you. But I know that wasn't the intent. I'm just shocked that you've, you ever have any moments that you don't think Jeff, that just doesn't seem like you. <laughs> I, well, that's what, and she said that too. She said that too, but there are, and those, cause I'll usually pause. I don't usually respond. I'll just say, yeah, I, no, I was in nothing. It's great. Nothing. This is awesome. Actually, It's called being present, but, right? but I was getting triggered when that wasn't good, a good enough answer. Ah, gotcha. So I want to talk more about a couple things here before, and I know I'm putting off rejection, but you, they keep flowing more naturally here. We've talked a lot about our emotions, and I want you to highlight again this topic of what makes emotions either positive or negative or how we react to them or what we do with them. Can you say more about that? Because I'm telling you, I think we still label our emotions positive or negative. People say, well, it's a positive emotion, it's a negative emotion. No, it's just an emotion. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, when it comes to labeling as, as positive and negatives, it has a lot to do with growing up as a kid. And, and for a lot of us where when we did, when we completed certain actions, it was labeled as a bad action versus a good action. Or whenever we got upset, you know, like, don't, you know, don't be bad or don't be angry. Or when someone labeled something as angry or anger, like what we saw with it was, was something that was not good. And so with that, even when we don't see that because we've consistently seen, and it's been laid in the foundation of anger looks like this, this is always angry. This is bad. Then it just becomes something that is just built into us where anger is bad emotion happy is a good emotion. And essentially we have to unlearn and relearn all of those emotions because I have had people who were extremely happy and they do some very, uh, oh my gosh, the word is just, it's a really basic word and I can't even think of it. Just, uh, uh they take like compulsive actions. Like it's just really quick. And I'm like, that's not necessarily a, a good thing to like, just take actions just because you're happy like that. You need to like calm down a little bit, but it's just those types of things where we don't necessarily think of happy as being like, Oh no, everybody wants to be happy, but it's really about what you do with that. And the same thing about anger. Uh, and I use anger because it's the one that we most commonly um, use a label as a negative, but think about all of the positive things that have come from people being angry. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's so many Feeling different. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. But you think it's it really becomes situational awareness then because, you know, if if I'm really happy and somebody had just died or something else, you know, maybe that's an inappropriate expression at that point in time. You know, who who defines what's what's positive and negative, right? Yeah, absolutely. Is it the absolutely. People around you or is it you yourself? Yeah, absolutely. But that's where that, you know, that that social awareness comes in. Yeah. Right. Uh, and and self-awareness, that self-management in order for us to keep that as an effective relationship. Like we have to take all of that into an account. But up front, emotions are what they are. They're just we're right there in the middle. And we choose which ones we we want or they or they come up. And it's how we display them. How are we showing them? Timing is is a part of that as well. Um, and so really, it's just unlearning. If we see all emotions or a certain emotions as always positive and a certain emotions as always negative, then we really have to unlearn that and then relearn yeah. that people show emotions in different ways. And every emotion is a is a healthy emotion if you are handling it the correct way, if you're managing it the correct way. You know, there's stress management, anger management, right? Effective communication, these life skills type classes. And the reason why it's called management is so that you can manage it because mm -hmm. it's only a problem when it's mismanaged. And for some reason, stress and anger tend to be um, the, the more ones that are um, reported as being mismanaged, but that's what management is for to learning how to manage it properly. It's not get rid of it. It's manage it. Great point. Oh, that I think that feeds so perfectly into the idea that I know you work with folks on is this idea of discomfort. 
is I know there's a lot of people would say because of stress, if they're if they're discom- if they're uncomfortable, they feel stressed, and therefore they're probably a lot of people are going to say I'm not happy when I'm stressed, and I want to be happy, so I'm going to avoid discomfort so that I can be happy because they're seeking this goal, right? So talk about the role of discomfort both in experiencing it and how important it is to be willing, I guess, to embrace it in order to grow. Oh, it is essential to grow. Like you can't, you can't do without it. I mean, I mean, maybe you can't, but you're not going to really go far with, with growing. (laughs) (laughs) So you could do, you know, do without it, but there's limitations there. But when it comes to discomfort, like, I'm sorry, I like to use metaphors and analogies. I apologize if I'm using too many of them. But so think of like a potted plant, right? Number one, you can't, you could, but you don't want to get a pot that is too big for one particular plant because there is too much room there and the, and the, and the small plant is going to be uh, attempting to, to reach out too quickly. And that could prevent or that could cause stunted growth. Interesting. I never thought about it that way. As, as far as getting a pot that's too big, that's that's a brilliant analogy. Yeah, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's like giving your kids too much free reign early on. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So it needs to be adjusted according to the size, and of course, having a little bit of room to grow there. Um, and then as the the plant starts to get bigger, of course, adjusting the pot size as well. And it's the same thing when it comes to discomfort. You don't necessarily have to jump all the way out and to do something completely that you don't want to do. Public speaking is a a fear that a lot of people have. So you don't have to say, I'm going to do public speaking. And then you start speaking to a crowd of 500, 5,000 people. Like you don't have to do that. You start on smaller scales and you grow your skills. You learn, um, you get feedback from others, potentially figuring out what your strengths and your weaknesses are. And then you graduate to different levels, slowly pushing yourself past that level. So once you feel a little comfortable there, perfect. That's the perfect time to to move into that next level. That is if that is something that you have a desire to grow in. You're going to have to put yourself with discomfort in order to get there. Like that is that is that's the way it has to be done. Um, There are different routes to get there. But discomfort is is one of those those things where you choose whichever door you want to go through. But discomfort saying, hi, <laughs> it's waiting on you. That's right. <laughs> so, so how do you um, guide people to that before? Because, I mean, Craig and I are believers. We both get it that discomfort's required. And, and I'm sure and I know for a fact, just because the level of unknowing is that both of us have discomfort zones that we don't even know about. Right. But the thing is this, people might know it, but be willing to do it. So what do you find typically gets them to the space of allowing for discomfort? Because it's not like being just, you know, is it just I want to grow? Is it what is it that opens that door to be more uncomfortable? So as a coach, my my focus is then is really being able to help people to number one, for them to identify what those goals are, what it is that they're trying to achieve. As much as I really want to tell them how to get there. <laughs> and I want to say that you have to, to be able to, to get, you have to experience some type of discomfort as a coach. It's really just about getting them to explore the, the different options that are available, the different alternatives. and them eventually finding what works best for themselves. If they're setting that goal for when we're talking about careers where they are wanting to be a supervisor of a particular organization or company, but they don't currently have any experience. Well, that's one of those things where, you know, I'm going to ask, so what do you think or what type of skills could you gain in order to eventually put yourself in that position? Well, at that point, they're going to potentially list some things that they haven't yet done that they may not want to do. And eventually I I do believe that they will get there. So it's, it's not a solid answer because with, with coaching, it is so very much, or at least the the way I do it is it's so very much led by what is the client or what route the client is wanting to take. And even if it's the last option of these haven't worked, I need to step outside of my comfort zone. Then that's a win. 
Um, but really just uh, allowing them to, to, to try, to, to try those options um, with hopes that uh, they will eventually get to a level of where they're pushing past what they are comfortable with and moving into something um, that is a little bit more uncomfortable because it's new, but seeing the growth that they can have from it. Most of the time when we talk about change, we, it's, it's oversimplification, but it's helpful, I think. We'll say people either are moving towards something or away from something, right? They're, they're looking to get out of this situation. They're looking for the new situation. Which do you find is more often the driver for the folks you work with that make them willing to be uncomfortable to have that new reality? Uh, it's, it's getting out of the situation that they're in. Um, the, the people that I, I work with, because it is about um, my focus is on self-worth, uh, building confidence. And so when I'm speaking with these people, working with these these clients who are having those doubts, like they don't they don't like the doubts. They don't like the the lack of confidence. They don't like that feeling. It's it's an unwelcoming feeling. It's just crazy because you, you feel it all the time, but that doesn't mean that you enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they want to get out of that and finding a way in order for them to do that is, is something that is, is essential. Well, I know the port of one thing we've, I've alluded to, we, it's been put off long enough. We're going to talk about rejection. rejection. We're going to talk about rejection. And I'm going to just take a guess that rejection shows up kind of in two ways. One is people have experienced rejection and the impact it has on their confidence. Mm. And then there's the fear of future rejection that comes from those confidence questions. So talk about this sphere of rejection as a part of this whole process of growth. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. So for me, as a as a career coach, uh, there are a lot of different forms of rejection that can come when it when we're talking about people's careers. Um, and I've experienced a lot of them um, as, a, as a military spouse who moving from duty station to duty station. There was a lot of applying for jobs, years of experience, but I still don't get it right. Don't get the job when I do get the job then it was, oh, I would really like to uh, apply for this promotion or I'd really like to uh, apply for a salary increase. But then I was met with the response of, well, you haven't been here long enough. Well, gosh, I will never be here long enough (laughs) because I'm moving (laughs) in a couple of years. Um, But really just constantly battling with the no, 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 or being dismissed or being unheard, right? Uh, going back to that jelly, uh, but <laughs> it was just really frustrating. And so when it comes to uh, people and working with clients and, and them being to, able to experience rejection, that is a part of growth. It's a part of wisdom, because one thing that I learned from all of the rejection letters that I received via email or whatever the case may be, I learned how to improve my resume writing skills. I learned how important networking was in order to be able to get gainful uh, and meaningful employment through the lack of being able to get salary and promotion. I was able to better understand perhaps what are other things that I could do in order to get the get what it was that I was really looking for, which as it turned out, it was more of an exploration of figuring out what my values were. Uh, so it was not, uh, financial. It was more so of the support, the recognition, being able to have that pride, uh, for the company in the organization that I was working for. So for rejection, rejection is a tool of wisdom. It is something that you can absolutely use to grow. It is something that you can look at all of the times that it's happened And you can say, okay, don't do this. Maybe you could do that. Don't do this. Maybe you could do that. And it's also a a tool for patience. Um, I used to always say I would I would never uh, pray for patience because I pray for wisdom. And but it didn't work because rejection taught me both patience and wisdom. Wow. As far as really being able to understand that if you get a whole bunch of no's, well, guess what? That's adding time. Like now you have to wait even longer to get a yes, but what else are you going to do if you're going to keep putting yourself out there? Well, it sounds like that's, that's a great tool for not only 
regular people, but also for salespeople who are, you know, constantly in that face of rejection. But I think in the, on the sales side, they would say, you know, every no is closer to the yes. And so when we think about that with, you know, whether it's job applications or looking for the promotions or whatever those things are, the more no's we get just gets us closer to that yes. And so I guess it's, it's a really healthy perspective that you're talking about, Lapora, that we can actually use that as a growth tool rather than just wallowing in it. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And that it's like sometimes we, we discount so many times, like when we get to what our, what our goal is or being able to reach our, our accomplishments, we forget that those rejections were part of the tools necessary in order to, to build that road, in order to build those stairs or whatever the case, whatever metaphor analogy you want to use, like it was part of that. And without those rejections, we wouldn't have the, the basis that we have. And so I don't aim for rejection by all means. I'm not looking like, oh, who's going to reject me today? <laughs> yeah. But it's just about embracing it and figuring out after I, I get over it, because I do allow my, myself time to grieve whatever I've been rejected from, but really figuring out at that point, okay, so what can I learn from this situation that either I can use to help myself or that I can use uh, to help somebody else? Because you don't always have to be the one that makes mistakes or get rejected in order to learn from it. I mean, if yeah, somebody wants to helpful. share with me how you've been rejected, then by all means, let me know, because I will be happy to take that information. No, that's a really <laughs> healthy perspective. It sounds like the poor, if I could rephrase that it sounds like you're working with people to reframe rejection versus just push past it so it's not like this hey just do it it's more of a reframe of what the gifts of, re of rejection are and the reality but the gifts that can come that will come from it there's not if you know if i'm if i'm in a growth mindset the gifts will come from rejection absolutely and i think it's also possible to have rejection and not learn anything from it I think people assume <laughs> the experience is the learning, but I think that gets back to the self-awareness, the emotional intelligence. Am I taking this approach to actually learn from that experience? Because I think that's one of the misnomers. I don't know if that's the right word. People say, well, we learn from experience. I don't believe that anymore. I think I learn when I choose to learn from the experience. I actually recently posted something on LinkedIn, which is similar to what uh, you were talking about. You can be in a, a situation to learn, but if you're not willing to learn, you can't. I actually had a pencil. I wish I still had it. And I was manually sharpening this pencil and like for 10 minutes, because apparently that's what you do. You just manually sharpen pencils, but I, there was no lead in the pencil. And no matter how much I sharpened, I could not get the lead. And I just continued until I probably got down to like half the pencil. And I, I eventually really, I, I recognized and I acknowledged that there was no lead there. And it's the same thing for us when we are in situations where we can learn from, or we can grow experience from. Like you can be in a situation that's going to sharpen your skills, that is going to, to give you the tools. But if you don't have a mindset or if you don't have lead in your pencil, then guess what? It doesn't matter how much sharpening you do. You are not going to grow. You, you can't. And it's the La same thing. Lepora, <laughs> one of your superpowers is the analogy. <laughs> yes, do not. Yes, you, great analogies. you were concerned about being too much. No, I mean, <laughs> I, I've got the jam and the, the jam in the refrigerator, the potted plant and yeah. sharpening the pencil with no lead. Those are going to stick with me, and I'm sure with our listeners. Yep. Lepora, this has been so fantastic, such important topics. And I believe sometimes topics that get overlooked or put in the, the small bucket of, yeah, when, you know, it's the extra. This is so foundational to ourselves, our career path, and certainly to leadership. So thank you for bringing these powerful messages. We always want to make sure our guest has a chance to highlight or promote anything that's going on for you in your world. And what is that? So I offer um, monthly workshops uh, throughout on my website. People are, can feel free to sign up for those at www.laporalindsay.com. And I'm, I'm working on a book, but I can't really promote that because I'm in the phase of looking for a literary agent. So when that comes out... <laughs> I'll let you know, but probably take a while for that one. <laughs> right. So they can find the workshop on the website. What's the best mm -hmm. way for them to people to connect with you directly? They have the option to message me on my website as well. 
but I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and on Instagram. And so they can feel free to send me a direct message on either one of those social platforms. Wonderful. So one, one other thing I'm wondering is how can we support our military spouses? What's, a, what's the best way that we can support them? Because they often go unnoticed, I would guess. So my passion is always careers. And it's, a, it's a, a big passion for military spouses across the across the globe, literally. And so I would say that if um, people are able to really educate themselves on the, the struggles and the obstacles that military spouses face, mm-hmm. and if an organization is able to um, perhaps partner with some of the organizations that are out there, such as Military Spouse Employment Partnership, okay. or um, the uh, Military Spouse uh, entrepreneurship agency, if they're Mm. able to partnership with those um, in order to provide assistance and provide opportunities for employment, because I'm telling you, it is a constant battle, a constant battle uh, in order to be able to find gainful and meaningful employment. Yeah. I I love the idea of that entrepreneurial uh, group. I I have not heard of that before. That sounds like something I would love to get involved in and in, in being able to help people, you know, start their own businesses that can be anywhere, you know, location independence is fantastic. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's a great organization. Uh, Mooney Jefferson and Flossie Hall are the ones that are in, in charge of that, but okay. great organization that really helps to propel uh, military spouses in their, on their entrepreneurship journey. Awesome. Thank you. And it sounds like from that, Lepore, one of the challenges is the employers have to make a mindset shift because so many employers are looking to hire people who they believe they'll have a long time. And with military spouses, there's a good chance that they will not have them for a long term. And that's a fundamental shift they have to be willing to make to open the possibility for them, I would think. Absolutely. And, and with that, I would, I would dare to even say that there are a lot of military spouses who stick around for longer. Um, but the, the difference between a military spouse and someone who's not is that you know that there's a possible timeline on how long a military spouse would stay around. But for anyone else, you don't know. But the average tenure is like, what, two to four years? So, I mean, we're like, we're trying to equal the playing field here, but still just having that label of being a military spouse, they, we get discounted a lot of times. But I'm telling you, we are some of the most adaptable, flexible, experienced, knowledge and capable people you will ever meet or hire. <laughs> well, it seems like this is probably one of those many biases that organizations and people in those organizations have this belief that short time, not going to be here when the reality is they're not any different than most every other employee. So that's a great uh, reminder of a bias that I can have based upon my old way of thinking and my perceptions and assumptions, which are always trouble. So, uh, Lindsay, uh, sorry. So Lepora, we always wrap up with a question or two. I'm going to just wrap with a single question with you today. What is that piece of wisdom to share with our listeners about their leadership? So there was a research uh, article that came out the other day by Bind, uh, that's B-Y-N-D, um, in regards to like what is going to create that productivity, that retention, and what's going to keep employees and people part of that team there. And that is pride. And pride is connecting to the the values and connecting to the impact of that company or organization. So in order to get there, there are other steps that are required, but that's that's the word I, I would uh, share is that ensure that you're that those team players all have pride in their organization and their company. They need okay. to be connected. Um, to what the values are. They need to be a part of that. They need to know what impact that they are making because if they have that pride for that company and that organization, that productivity is going to increase, Mm -hmm. that retention is going to increase, and then it's just going to change the overall dynamics for the better of that particular company or organization. Sounds like pride is, goes way beyond just engagement. That's, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. I think a lot of people talk about values and impact but I love that umbrella of pride. If someone's proud of the place they work, they're gonna be engaged. I don't think because they're engaged, they have pride. So I love that. Thanks for a great way to close off a fantastic conversation. 
Thank you for being here. Thanks for your wisdom, Lapora, and more importantly, thanks for all the work you do with the people you serve, as well as those mili- all the ways you serve the military spouse. Absolutely. So thank you for all your work. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. enjoy the Leadership Junkies podcast and you want to grow your leadership, we have a new course for you called Become a Confident Leader. In this course, we will share some of the keys to becoming more confident in your leadership and also to become more impactful. Go to cartavera.com confident to find out more. See you on the inside. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.